Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, everyone. Today I have with us Eric Nevins. Eric Nevins and I met at a podcasting conference and made a great connection, quick conversation uh, of mutual interest. And he had asked me if I had ever read this book called The Critical Journey by Janet Hagberg. And I said, absolutely have. And I think, Eric, how did you respond to that? Oh, you're one of the few or something like that? Uh, something like that. I was like, oh, yeah, you've actually heard of it. That's great. Because sometimes we have to explain <laughs> the premise of the book to people. <laughs> right. And so welcome. Thank you for joining me today in the conversation. It's a pleasure and- to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I, I always love having conversation with Eric. We always uh, find something interesting to talk about along the way. And I wanted to introduce him to you. Um, he has a podcast called Halfway There that uh, you might want to be listening into. And uh, so I'd love for you to do that. And he also has a Christian podcasters uh, Facebook group and uh, just building a community of people who are doing podcasting in the Christian space. And there's always some good, interesting things going on there. Um, for anybody who's interested in uh, getting going on podcasting or is already doing it, um, that would be the place to tune in. So, Eric, thanks so much. The first question I normally ask um, my guests is, can you tell me about an early experience of of God in your life? Mm. Yeah, you know, so probably my earliest experience um, is I remember just always praying as a kid. And so, um, like I used to pray every night when, um, I would go to bed and this is, this sounds silly now, but I would pray, um, that nobody would break into our house, that our house wouldn't burn down, that nobody would have a medical emergency. I'm sure I didn't use those words, but, um, I was really apparently scared of just bad things happening. <laughs> um, and then, and then just like, I would kind of take care of our family. And so that was, um, that was sort of my first experiences with God. We're, we're just sort of relying on him to keep us safe. Mm. So when was an experience where God's presence was particularly tangible for you? Mm. Like an early experience or just any? Anytime. Um, yeah, I've had lots of experiences there. Um, I'll give you a, a small one. So, I've always had a little bit of a bent toward wanting to have a mystical experience, you know, um, which uh, I've had the fortune of having good mentors and good spiritual directors to tell me to kind of like just seek God, not, not worry about the experiences. Uh, but one time there's a place here called Sacred Heart uh, Jesuit Retreat House. It's in Sedalia, Colorado. It's one of my favorite places on the planet because you can go there and nobody will ask you to do anything. <laughs> there is no... It's silent, so nobody's going to talk to you. There, you, even when you eat, you sit down, and there's nobody to sit there. Nobody wants to talk to you because it's a silent retreat house. Um, there's beautiful grounds you can go out and walk around. So I try to go there a couple times a year, um, but I was there one time, and I had this kind of expectation, this desire, like I want to have this experience with God, and it was just sort of crickets. There was just I was reading, I was trying to pray and meditate, and just nothing. Um, and so I was asking God, like, I want something, you know, like, just let me know that you're here. And so I got dinner that night and I think it was a salad or I had a salad. I usually get a salad there and they had some peppers 
and this is this is one of those experiences that how you know it's God because it's just so um, silly. But basically, I I picked up, um, I was eating and I ate these some of these peppers with my salad, and it was like the most perfect flavor of a pepper. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like it was kind of sweet but crunchy and 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 tasty. And I know that sounds that sounds weird, but for whatever reason, that struck me through taste. Uh, as just a tremendous blessing from God. And he just sort of at the same time, it wasn't like an audible voice or anything, but it just had this sense of his presence. Like, oh, you, here, you wanted an experience, here it is. And um, I just knew he was with me. And so I started laughing, which is kind of out of place in a silent <laughs> retreat house. Um, but it just kind of, it was a funny way, I thought, for God to to let me know that he was, he was there um, and present with me. So what did you kind of take away from that experience or extrapolate yeah. from that experience about your picture of God? Yeah, I think partly it was just to notice him in all the small things, right? That even the the small gifts are good gifts from him and to be aware and just, um, just let him just be, be watching for him wherever I'm, wherever I am. You know, I've always said that uh, I think taste buds are evidence enough that oh, God totally, exists. Oh, right? And he, and he loves us. Yeah, because they're just so good. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean chocolate-covered strawberries? Right. Come on. Right. And I just love that because it's, like I said, I've, I feel a little silly even sharing that that's a spiritual experience with a pepper, but it's like it is. it was really a powerful moment of just goodness. And I think sometimes it's easy for me to think that God doesn't um, want to be good to me. But moments like that remind me that he does. I mean, and I love the fact that it was in an ordinary kind of thing that you were just chewing yeah. along. And, uh, and all of a sudden you sense this something prompting in your, in your spirit. Like you said, not audible, pretty simple, and actually pretty yeah. funny. That's one way that I've, I've learned to notice God is when things like that strike me as funny. Um, I've had a couple experiences where I, where I just laughed uh, because of what God said or did or, or like that, um, that, um, or just his presence. It was, he makes me laugh. He's funny. You know, I think that that's a kind of a telltale sign for me when I experience, have experiences with God is that they're not out-of-body experiences. They're not, you know, some weird something or another. It's somehow rather ordinary, but there's this unmistakable right. presence, not audible, and also that he's just funny. I mean, just winsome, just far more winsome, approachable, likable, Um wants to be with you kind of experience in the midst of it. And that doesn't take away from God's holiness and God's perfection and God's power or anything else. He's also present in the right. small stuff, right? Yeah. And I think that's so super powerful um, that, um, you know, we, at least in the tradition I grew up in, we were accustomed to thinking of God as being very high and lifted up, right? We'd sing that song uh, and that's all true and all appropriate for him, but he's also imminent. 
and he's also very close um, and he's also very intimate. And so that, you know, just ha- I've had to really learn over time um, as I've gotten older because it just wasn't part of my experience growing up. Yeah, I think uh, it's a it's an interesting thing that we can totally overlook experiences of God because we're looking for something different or more seemingly spiritual or high and mighty or lifted up or whatever else than what we think it's going to be. That it's just different than what we think it's going to be on a regular basis. Right. Right. Yeah. I I think, so that's what I was saying about sort of mysticism, right? Sometimes like I have this tendency, I want to be like John and caught up into the third heaven. Right. And I want to see like all these visions and weird beings and all this kind of crazy. I don't know (laughs) if I really do want to see that. You're right. Maybe, maybe not. Like maybe the reality of that, really is, that? is worse. Uh, but then at least I would know, right? It's like then, okay, yes, I can see what uh, you know. It's it's a super positive. I know what happened. But you know, a pepper can be a little bit subjective, right? And so it's not so definitive. <laughs> and I think that's where it comes from. Um, and maybe God is sometimes subjectively with us. Like if it's awareness, right? We talk about this as spiritual directors all the time. Or what are you, how are we aware of God and his presence? That that's kind of is what makes all the difference. Yeah. And I, I'm just continually struck by, um, like we're talking about the ordinariness, the everydayness, the, the beauty, um, I've told a story before on the podcast about using when I have my camera and I'm taking a picture of something in nature and, you know, just having this, this gratitude um, for what is right in front of me and the creation and the beauty that it is and, um, and being able to say thank you and sometimes hearing or sensing a response of, I'm so glad you noticed. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's stuff like that that you go, oh, Oh, what if I did a better job of noticing? Hmm. So let's take what your experience is of the pepper or other things that might be like that. And maybe that's a little bit different picture of God than you were handed growing up. Tell me a little bit more about your spiritual um, upbringing and, and what pictures of God you were Yeah, so I grew up pretty traditionally evangelical. I uh, went to an evangelical free church, which is a name that I never quite understood because it sounded like cholesterol free. Um, and so I just kind of wondered, what does that mean? Are we, we don't have any evangelicals here? No, it's just a, the name of the church. Um, but so that was basically um, just a run of the mill, you know, view of God. Um, you have to do kind of perform to be loved. It's kind of a knowing and doing culture. The more you know, the more you do, the more spiritual you are. Um, you know, I remember wanting to, to, to do things like, um, you know, big crusades, because that would be a thing that was really powerful, right? Really, if lots of people came to Christ because of me, then that would be like the epitome of God using me and me being, um, you know, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Valuable, I guess. You know what I'm saying? More spiritual. Or more spiritual right? exactly. or whatever. Uh, so that was kind of, I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody really did that 
like they didn't really teach that on purpose, but then maybe that was just what I adopted. But that was sort of the, the atmosphere that I, I grew up in. So it was kind of in the air. One yeah. Way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what led you to go to seminary? Um, so yeah, along those lines, basically I had to make a choice when I was in high school. Uh, I wanted to be an actor and I honestly, I wasn't really that good of an actor. I was into drama as a high school student. Um, I liked it. I don't know if I was that good at it, uh, but I, I had to make this choice. So I was going to go to school where I was going to study uh, theater sort of tangentially. Um, but then we visited it and I just didn't like it. I didn't, was, wasn't where I wanted to be. And so I had to ask these questions like, what am I going to do? I knew I wanted to go to a different school and, you know, but they had a Bible program. And so I decided, well, maybe I want to be a pastor. And so I want to go and study Bible. Um, but then I get, I think part of that was going, well, this would be probably more impactful and more important. This idea that studying scripture or studying theology would be, more important than doing something with the arts, um, which is funny because I eventually completely reversed that, which is kind of kind of weird. God does those things, I guess, sometimes. But um, anyway, so I eventually, yeah, I went. So I got this degree in biblical studies, and then you really can't do a lot with that. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> but they're not very valuable. The only thing you can do is go to seminary or find another church that would hire you. So um, I went to seminary from there. When you did seminary, what was what came out differently mm. than you thought it would? Yeah, so um, so let me tell you the story because how I figured this out um, or kind of the evolution for me um, happened start, started at the end of college for me. So I had to do this project where um, it was actually a health class. And we had to talk about some sort of, you know, body health kind of thing. And I did this project on spiritual disciplines because I was starting to get into um, spiritual formation and Dallas Willard, things like that, writers like that, um, Richard Foster. And I did this presentation and I started it off. I was such a, I've got just, I can be a little bit in your face sometimes, not always, but sometimes when I am, I'm like way out there. And so I said to this teacher, I started this presentation off with, um, I don't really like this class. <laughs> I don't really care about running or how many sit-ups I can do. Or, and I was really a little bit horrified when we pulled out the cow's heart because that's I don't want to see that. But um, what I find value in this class in is we have to take a theology of the body. We have to take this idea of how do our bodies participate in, in our spiritual development, in our, in our whole development. And um, I had the room, it was quite silent when I first started. <laughs> and by the end, I had the whole room kind of excited about, wow, we, you know, this is how spiritual disciplines impact us. Um, and I passed the class, so that was the good news. Uh, but that was really where I started to, to shift to more of a spiritual formation focus as I was reading and studying, um, studying in that. And then um, I went to seminary uh, at at that institution there, which is a really hot, it's a well-regarded institution. A lot of people who write commentaries and, you know, translate scripture teach there. 
Um, but it just wasn't really feeling right for me. And we had a lot of things happen at that time. Um, our kind of whole system, both, both of our parents were falling apart in various ways. And, um, you know, my wife and I were, we had our first baby. We were having struggling with that and our relationship was struggling a little bit. And so the whole thing was, I can look back now and go, Oh, that was a dark night of the soul. That was me hitting the wall. Um, I ended up taking a break. It was three years and two kids. And, uh, but through that time I was trying to go do other things or try to figure something else out, kind of giving up on the idea of being a pastor and God wouldn't let it go. He just kept bringing it back up in various ways. And finally, um, I've discovered that this more got more into spiritual formation through a, a mentor at our church. And we studied this book called, um, satisfy your soul by Bruce Demarest. And it happened that my cousin was going to Denver Seminary, um, where he had taken a class from Bruce Demarest. And so we came out to visit, and I got to meet him. And that was one of the first authors I got to meet. And that made me go, oh, I think this is a place where God is, God is leading us. And so we ended up, ended up back out here in Denver. As you learn more about the spiritual practices and all, which ones really feed your soul? Yeah, I love imaginative prayer. That one just, yeah, that is the one that just makes me so, uh, it just connects me to God in different ways. So I've actually been, um, I've been reading John lately. And when I, when I do it as an imagine, um, I think Jesus just pops out of the page in a different way. I had this kind of view of God, very, like I'm saying, kind of very not kind of stodgy. And what have you done for me lately? Okay, but I'm going to have to interrupt you and ask you to back up and, and describe or define imaginative prayer for our listeners. Okay, I can do that. So imaginative prayer, this is another thing I learned from the, the Jesuits at uh, Sacred Heart. But imaginative prayer basically is taking a passage, um, and I guess it's I sort of combine it with Lectio in some ways, but um, it's I just will read it. I will um, try to put myself into the into the passage. I'll read it several times, reflect on it. Um, and I'll try to hear the dialogue between, between the people, hear the tone, um, often in ways that will surprise me. So does that, does that describe imaginative prayer enough? So being able to put yourself in the experience of what's happening yeah, and imagine right. the surroundings and, and all. Okay. And, and yeah, see where that exactly. happens so, to take you. And, inviting the Holy yes. Spirit to guide that imagination, giving the imagination to God so that he might be able to show you some things you might not just intellectually discern through the text. Right, right. That's so much better said. So I'll give you an example of, of a time when that was really powerful for me. So um, I was talking about, I was reading John now, but I was reading last year, I was reading Mark. It took me the whole year because I was doing this process over and over again. And some passages I would keep coming back to. One passage was Mark 1, it's like 35 to 40, or 45, 40 to 45, somewhere in there. It's a small little encounter, five verses, Jesus has with a leper. And the leper comes up to him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And there's some interesting dialogue or interesting textual variants there where, so as I'm reading this, it says, well, Jesus had compassion on the man, Right. But there's a note that says, uh, some versions read Jesus was indignant 
Now that's a whole different reading, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. So when you're imagining, I had to go through and go, what does that mean? What would Jesus look like if he was indignant? So now I'm putting myself in the position of a bystander, maybe one of Jesus' disciples, watching this man sick from a leper colony. We're trying to avoid him, and he runs up and throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And watching Jesus' face turn red, right? Like that's, whoa. We don't often think of Jesus that way. Um, but that that question, as I was sitting with this over weeks, several weeks, um, turned into, for me, a question that God kind of turned around for me, where he was saying, do you believe, because Jesus ends up going, hey, yes, of course I'm willing, and he heals the man, touches him, which you couldn't do to a leper back then. Um, but it was this whole thing, this poor guy was shut out of his whole society, his family, his job, his religious access, all of that was gone because of this disease. And anyway, Jesus touches him and says, yes, of course I'm willing, be clean or be healed. And I had to sit with this question going, am I willing to believe that Jesus wants to heal me of all the stuff that I'm wrestling with? Right. Sometimes I'm not. And so that, that was a way that stepping into the passage, watching and observing, it got really personal for me. Um, and made me ask some good questions and made me kind of wrestle with God over, over those questions. And what was the result of the wrestling? Yeah, well, I think I had to surrender in some ways and just go, yes, okay, Lord, I, I trust that you are good and that uh, some of these things that I want you to do that I feel like maybe you're not doing, um, I can wait for or I can trust you in. Mm. You know, one of, the, one of our conversations when you asked me about this book, The Critical Journey, if, I, if I'd read it, in the, it's, it's The Critical Journey of Stages in the Life of Faith, uh, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gruen. And right at the beginning, there's this quote that relates to what you're saying. It says, whatever comes into your heart and mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And your question there has to do with what do you, who do you think I am? Right. Yeah. And God wanting to have a conversation with you about, do you believe that I'm good? Do you believe that I'm for you? Right. Yeah. And the leper is so fascinating. Like why this guy still has faith, even though he's lost everything. That fascinated me. I mean, it's like, okay, Jesus, you're my last hope here. Right. Because leprosy was not only means of uh, just a horribly communicative disease, but you'd be ostracized from the community um, and considered unclean, which also meant you couldn't, you couldn't participate in anything in the society in addition to being able to fulfill the rituals that were required. Right. Right. And completely gone. So here's somebody that's hasn't had anybody touch him. Right. For who knows how long. And hear this encounter but when it came to you being invited by god to say who do you say that i am do what did you have to reconsider about the picture of god that you were handed Uh. Um, what you wanted to take with you what you wanted to leave behind what new things did did that open up for you i think so for me a lot of it was um is does God value me just because of who I am? 
just because he made me um, or because of what I can do for him. I think there was a lot of that. Um, and is he going to work on my behalf when, um, you know, when it seems like he's not, you know, when it seems like everything's gone wrong. Um, you know, so some of that, some of those beliefs, I didn't really talk about this, but during that break from seminary, one of the things that was happening was my parents were getting divorced. And, um, I mean, that was really the culmination of a decades long, you know, source of trouble, uh, for me. So, um, that was like, I, one of the things I prayed as a little kid was that my parents would get along. Right. Um, and so that was like a, um, it's one of the, so when I had to come to consider, Hey God, will you actually, do you want to heal me? Right. Cause he asked, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Right. Cause we know he has the power, but does he want to? And that, you know, those prayers as a child really didn't seem answered in a lot of ways. Um, and so I had to wrestle with, does he actually want to show up? Um, which is sometimes still, still a question that I, that I wrestle with, but it was a really, but that's the passage I go back to because Jesus is so emphatic about yes. And in fact, he's kind of upset that this of the situation that this guy has been put into. Hmm. That's really interesting. So imaginative prayer, you said is one of your favorite mm -hmm. spiritual practices and what other, what other practices have helped you to, um, to really strengthen your faith, but also to um, have a, a fresher experience of, of who God is. Yeah. You know, one of them uh, surprisingly was podcasting and I didn't expect that um, because I started the show really because I wanted to uh, just share stories. I had become convinced that uh, stories um, were more powerful than telling people what to think or what to do. And partly because I wasn't very good at doing that. I tried to preach. I'm not, you don't want to hear. I feel so bad for the people who first had to hear me preach in, in class. This must have been a tough 45 minutes, but um, the, that just wasn't really where I'm gifted. But what I found is that I was really gifted at asking questions and just listening to answers and letting the story kind of unfold. Um, so as, but as I've done that, I've learned so much about who God is from the experiences of others. I've become really convinced that experience is sometimes neglected. It's easy to say, okay, well, we believe in scripture and we believe in these truths. Um, and that's important. I'm not, I would never say that it's not, but also um, there, there's a reason that a lot of the Bible is narrative because we learn by listening to stories. And so I've learned from other people, you know, I didn't personally, I didn't believe uh, like substantially that God would speak to people when I first started my podcast. Um, I guess I kind of thought maybe, you know, I was kind of open to it, but I didn't, I didn't really have any categories for that. And then I started interviewing people and they're telling me about times when God either spoke to them, directed them, guided them some more than others. Um, but I just had to start going, wow, I guess God really does do that, you know, but just based on experience, not necessarily, um, you know, what some theology book told me. So I had, then I had to go back and I found some good books like Jack Deere's Surprised by the Holy Spirit and things like that. 
Hmm. So the name of the podcast is Halfway There. Yes. Tell me about the name. Well, the name really is two things. It's a hot tip. It's a hat tip to Bon Jovi um, because everybody will remember it now because everybody knows, oh, we're halfway there. Um, but it's also just this idea that, hey, we're never going to be there. Like I, I always had this idea of, hey, we're going to we're going to eventually get someplace, right, that I'm going to reach spiritual maturity. And I just don't know that that actually happens. We're always we're always going to be on the journey. And um, even in eternity, I believe, we're still going to be learning. We're going to be learning about God and our relationship with him because you can't exhaust the knowledge of an infinite God. Right. I always say when we get to heaven, we're all going to be surprised. It's just going to be about different things. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So, and forever. So, I mean, uh, that's that's the cool part. Forever. We'll always be yeah. learning new things about who he is. And and I share your love of imaginative prayer because because of the fact that God keeps surprising me. And when I when I'm in a a coaching relationship with people, um, having the honor of being able to listen to them and help them to access that because some people can't quite access imaginative prayer by themselves um, to start out with at least. Um, and to be able to see what happens and how God shows up and, and all is just absolutely fascinating how that works. It is. It's a really different way to in, embrace scripture, right? So I guess for me, it's really a, how I meditate on scripture, you know, Right. And, and sometimes I even take it in a way that uh, someone will, will use a metaphor for their, for their circumstance. Um, they'll say something, you know, I feel like I'm up against the wall or I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm on a path that's, that, that's, I've been on this path for a long time, moving uphill, and I've just come to the path being completely washed out and there's a gully in front of me. You know, it's like, and and I'll help them to enter into the metaphor in a in a way that that helps them to see their surroundings in it if they put themselves in it. And I've only done it once where Jesus hasn't showed up. <laughs> wow. It's just an absolutely fascinating thing to to listen to how Jesus shows up and what the interactions are as people are in in just kind of uh, able to enter into an experience like that so easily. It's it, with such little prompting that Jesus is so ready and willing to show up in the midst of it. And it just excites me to no end. I mean, I get, is, I get maybe even more excited when I get to listen to someone in the midst of those experiences as having one myself. Mm-hmm. You know, right. having one of those experiences myself, because I keep getting to see how God interacts with different people over different circumstances. I mean, it's 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 really something that I I never would have ever pictured from the faith I grew up with. I mean, the 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 particular religious upbringing I had, right? Um, that would have been something that. Well, nobody would have talked about it if it did happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Which is part of why, you know, in the podcast, I have people sharing their stories. Most of these people are people who wouldn't want to get in front of a thousand or two thousand people. But if they share their story with me, I'll put them in front of that many people or so. 
and uh, and you know it'll be out there and people can learn and, and learn from them. I had a 93 year old lady uh, who goes to our church last year. I last summer I interviewed her, and it was like it was one of the most powerful episodes because here she is. I visited her at her uh, home uh, a little ways from me here. And she, she's telling me all about these experiences. And then she opens up her prayer journal. And can you imagine like how often you get to look at a non-agenarian, I can't say the word. That's too bad. I bet you that. How often you get to look at a non-agenarian's prayer journal, right? Not very often. So she, uh, anyway, she opens it up and she's like, uh, you know, here's my family. And she kind of goes through all that. And then she flips it and go over and she goes, here's the leaders of the church. I was an elder at a time. So she goes, here you are, you know, like, wow, I'm in there. And then she flips mm-hmm. it over and here's the staff. And my wife works there. She goes, here's your, here's your wife and all your kids. Wow. It's amazing. But that right there, just having the experience and the chance to learn from somebody um, so, who's walked with Jesus for decades share with me her journey and her journal it was just astounding and i could share that experience with so many people um Mm -hmm. it's a real privilege that is so amazing and in the church i grew up in um after i had uh grown up and left home and everything i remember my mom really had some spiritual experiences that i mean some really difficult circumstances where where it it produced some amazing growth in her life and she went to some friends that she had gone to church with for 20 some odd years. And um, they played, they played uh, uh, Pinochle every month and got together and, and everything. But there were no, there were no Bible story studies or prayer groups or anything like that. And, and she suggested that maybe they get together and, and, and just pray together every once in a while. And one of the ladies said, well, we all pray, but we just don't talk about it. <laughs> and she couldn't get it going. and and so I mean just how different um, the church I grew up in was and maybe even just I think we're living in a different era where people are actually talking about their spiritual experiences um, differently and um, Christian book publishing and uh, podcasting and so many different ways to get stories out yeah well one one of the things that frustrated me to no end that really has been for a long time is this idea that we tell each other all the time, read your Bible and pray. And that's sort of the evangelical prescription for everything, which is fine, I guess, you know, but what we don't say is how do you do that? And so for me, discovering Lectio Divina or um, an imaginative prayer, those were ways that I could actually learn how to pray, learn how to pray the scripture um, that really then became, you know, much more personal and, and valuable to, to me and my experience with God. Right. Different ways to enter in. Yeah. Um, Most people don't have that. that. And really you kind of need a guide to help you. Um, There are a lot of great books out there too. And so, um, yeah. And any of our listeners who want to know more, send us, send us an email, uh, Sharon at onelifemaps.com. We'll answer those (laughs) and uh, be happy to help point you in some directions. I'll put some resources in the show notes as well. Now, um, I don't want to get any further into this without asking you about the book, The Critical Journey, which is um, kind of the rough template yeah. by which you interview people on your podcast. Tell me about how you got, uh, what struck you about this book that made you want to pursue 
doing a podcast that is loosely structured on it. Yeah. Well, so I've had this question since I was a, a in high school. My question was, how do people grow? And so um, it was that question that really um, you know, was one of the drivers of, for me going to school and trying to figure out. And so that book, The Critical Journey, really does answer a lot of those questions for me. So they lay out a sort of step-by-step um, developmental approach to spiritual formation. They have these different steps uh, and stages that just kind of made sense to me. And then once I started podcasting and asking people about their stories, it all clicked for me. I could start to see where, oh, okay, you, you know, you're having this experience that, um, you know, you were discipled by somebody and you or you were in, you know, whatever college ministry and you were in the Bible study every, every week or every, every day, sometimes, you know, some people, um, and, and I can identify what stage that that's in. It started to just make sense of, of different people. It also started to make sense of kind of the world we see in evangelicalism um, and kind of why some of our people are just stuck and not able to grow. Yeah, I think that the, the, just so, so we're clear, in The Critical Journey, she talks about um, this the stages, uh, stage one being the recognition of God, stage two being the life of discipleship, stage three being the productive life, mm-hmm. stage four the journey inward, and then there's this non-numbered, Thing that happens called the wall um, and then stage five the journey outward and stage six the life of love and it's not like these are these are steps in a process that you check off these are um, right things that are that that are uh, were 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 named out of listening to people's experiences of what happens to them in a faith journey problem is a lot of people don't know that things are, are, are designed to change um, in particular or, or that there's a pattern for things of how they go and they get surprised by the, the difficulty of moving from one stage to another. There's a disorientation right. that happens in the midst of it and they don't know how to name what's happening to them. And the, there's kind of sometimes a bewilderment between the steps. And, you know, why is what the spiritual practice I've been doing or the thing I've been told, why is it not working, if you want to use that word anymore? Why am I feeling so dry? Why am I, you know, is there something wrong with me? And many times, no, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you are growing and you don't know what the next piece journey looks like yet to be able to know that there's a handhold to grab. Um, to, to help move you forward. Yeah. I had a friend say to me, he works at a Christian school and this year at the Christian school, they were reading the Bible in a year. Right. So they're going through this. And he says to me, man, Eric, you know, I feel so guilty because I just, I don't enjoy it. You know, because when I was younger, when I first was saved, I would, I would have just eaten this up. I read the Bible in a year multiple times and it was the best. And now I just don't like it. What's wrong with me? Have I just kind of lost my, my drive, you know, or my love for God. And I was like, no, dude, I can see what happened. Like you're, you're older, you're wiser, you know, all this stuff, you know, you're needing a different kind of experience with God. Um, that's okay. This is what happens. Right. And that was a great comfort to him. 
Right. And I, I think that what happens in a lot of churches is they don't know what to do when people get to stage four to the journey yes. inward. You know, they, we know what to do with people in churches in the recognition of God, you know, helping people find God and to recognize who God is and respond to him. And then the life of discipleship, you know, the basics of the faith, and here's what we believe as Christians, and here's how it applies to your life. And then, okay, let's get you volunteering, a productive life. Um, we know what to do there because churches take a whole lot of volunteers to make them run. Right. We know exactly what to do there. The journey inward. Describe that one a little bit because that's where a lot of people start going, why do what's going on with me? And so... Yeah. Describe it. Well, I like to call that the journey of finding yourself in Christ. Um, because I think a lot of that language that Paul uses about being in Christ shows up here, and this is where we discover it. Um, so it becomes a lot more about uh, who am I? How has God made me? What are the things that um, he's made me to do? Um, the ways that he's made me to, to work with people? Um Right. In that point in time, we need to, the faith journey becomes autobiographical. Right. And so if, if we start to believe that it's only going to be found in scripture, then a lot of times we don't know how to read our own story through God's story, where it's a part of God's story. So true. Well, that's well said. And, yeah. And well, that's what Listen to My Life is about, yeah. right? I mean, it, when, when the journey goes autobiographical and you have to be able to trace the the movement of God through your own life, right. not just through somebody else's life that lived 2000 years ago or 4,000 years yeah. ago or whatever. I, I love um, what you said too, about how do we find ourselves in the Bible? One of my friends said to me recently, um, you know, something about discovering your gifts. And then she just kind of threw in there because, you know, the, all the gift lists in the Bible are all exhaustive, which of course they're not right. They're not intended to be that way. And it was kind of this funny comment that she just threw in there. But uh, I think that's true. I think sometimes we get, okay, we're trying to find everything in the Bible as if this is everything that we could possibly be, forgetting that God is actually the one who created tremendous diversity. I mean, all you have to do is look, let's just take insects, right? All you have to do is look at the number of insects and go, I think God likes a lot of creativity. Maybe he made me, you know, different. The point is I should use the gifts that he's given me. Right, and I'm a, and I and I am different in a different era of time right. than anybody that's in the Bible. Yes, but yet my story is also reflected in theirs. Right, exactly, and and yeah. it still contributes to the same kingdom of God, which I think is really important. Right. We have this heritage; we can't let go of that, but we're still we're still contributing to the same mission and the same goal. Right, and and God's story of His interaction with His people over time is still going on. Right didn't stop so but churches don't know what to do yes. with trying to figure out how to do a program around well i think that's because you can't really do a program like it's so individual it's so it doesn't scale it's hard to go if you can hire a worship guy who's gonna lead 500 people on a sunday morning in worship that makes sense if you're gonna hire a spiritual director or a shepherd or some sort they're you know they're gonna meet with what 12 or 20 people a week <laughs> Right. Like, well, but here's the thing. Um, there are people that are further along in the spiritual journey that, that their, their desire and calling is to, is to meet people true. on the path before the, the, that are, 
a little earlier in the path than they are. And the thing that's really why we wrote Lesson in My Life. That's why we produced the life maps um, is because of the fit. Well, Sybil Towner, my partner in this, was the director of spiritual mentoring. And we always found that there were more um, people who wanted to be mentored than mentors available. Right. And so we'd show, we, we'd ask people who we thought would be great mentors if they would um, be involved. And they said, well, I was never mentored, so I don't know what that looks like. I don't think I'm qualified, you know, and everything. And then we'd show them the life mapping materials and say, all you have to do is ask them to, to, to engage in their story. And then you listen to them and we'll teach you how to listen to them. Oh, I can listen to people's stories. (laughs) It totally changes it, right? So much easier. Yeah. And, and so this is one of the ways in which we felt like, because we knew about the critical journey as well, um, that we could scale it and we could make it normative for mm-hmm. people to learn how to listen to one another's story and community. And what a blessing that would be to the listeners as well as the people who are sharing their stories. And um, so that's that's what that is, is that's why it came up, came to being for us, was we could name it right here. I love it. <laughs> so anyway, next stage, after stage one, once again, the recognition of God, stage two, the life of discipleship, three, productive life, four, the imagery, then the wall. Describe the wall. Well, the wall is that period when um, things things get spiritually dry, People can hit the wall and kind of go back and say, well, I didn't learn enough or do enough. Um, they can, or they can kind of step through the wall uh, slowly and gingerly very often. Um, it, or circle around it and keep banging their head against it. <laughs> we know those people, don't we? I'm yeah, and I've, I've done that. Um, but so, yeah, anyway, the wall is just sort of that time when God seems absent, he feels distant. I always ask this question because I want uh, to normalize the wall. Because I think often this is when people get messy. They start to ask questions that, you know, are hard to answer. Is God really there? If God is there, why didn't he stop this event from happening? Um, it's a hard question and it's a question for God. And it's one that he's not afraid of, but it is one you have to be able to take to him. And so somebody needs to facilitate that for you. Right. And we call that in listen to my life terms, the lingering question. Yeah. Right. What's that question that that is driving your 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 in between thoughts and this underlying angst that might be present? And so the the wall is also just this this place where um, we have to wrestle through um, our picture of who God is, but also this wait a minute, maybe maybe I haven't been told the whole truth. About who God is, yeah. Or maybe I have to recognize that people were passing on a faith to me the way they understood it, and the only place they got it. But I'm I'm seeing things a little bit differently, or I'm seeing some actual problems with the church, or um, this particular piece of theology that I no longer agree with, and I'm feeling like I have to pretend that I'm that I agree in order to be a part of the community, right? Uh, all kinds of interesting things happen right there. And this is where people might enter into a season of, of what what has kind of been the phrased in popular lingo now, 
as deconstruction. Right. And so can you describe deconstruction? Yeah, the way I'm understanding it is deconstruction is basically what you described where people are asking questions, they're, they're uh, taking off the pieces of their theology that don't fit with the way that they're starting to understand who God is. Um, so like for me... Or how the world works. Or how the world works, exactly, right. So for me, like one example... <laughs> so I, I've been posting recently about uh, taking the politics out of... Uh, school shootings or sh these shootings that just keep happening, unfortunately. Um, and I'd been doing that because uh, three months ago, my kids were at a school that was part of a shooting. There's somebody went in, two students went in there and shot uh, up a room and killed one person. And uh, my kids were there and that's terrifying. Um, but the, uh, that, so that totally changed my, changed my perspective. 10 years ago, I would have been, like I was all about the politics, you know what I mean? So I used to think, I, 10 years ago, I actually started a blog right after I got out of seminary about Christians and politics because I thought that politics, these were the two things that, that mattered, right? Christian faith and politics. And today, um, I'm like, no, let's don't. Like, let's, this is not about politics. There's actually nothing uh, political about a shooting, uh, so if you if you think there is, I get it that politics exists and that's a thing. But the reality is, let's show up for each other and love each other before something happens, but most certainly afterwards. So for me, having to go through that was just a was a real a real situation of having to just change who I thought God was, you know, and what mattered. Right, and I just read a blog post by Steve Carter. And he was saying, okay, before we get all up in arms about uh, no prayer in school, let's pray for our yeah. schools. Let's pray for the kids. Let's pray for the teachers. Let's pray for the custodians. Let's pray for the security staff and the principals. Right. The good news about prayer is it doesn't have to be done in the place to be effective. It doesn't. I mean, we're all very, very free to pray whenever we want, right where we right. are. Right. And uh, so, yeah, and, but we probably spend more words as Christians. Christians recently might have been spending more words talking about no prayer in schools rather than praying for the schools. <laughs> right. And being present and helping. And, um, you know, I, I was writing about people. So after this event happened, there were churches in our, in our area that opened their space for services, for vigils, but also just for showing up. You know, like uh, one of the bigger churches here who's not far from our kids' school said, hey, come over. You know, we're going to be open in the next three days from, you know, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. or whatever. Come, we'll have games if you want to play, you want to hang out, whatever. We'll bring them food, everything. They just said, come and gather here. And I just thought, what a, what a huge blessing that is um, to just offer our space and a, a place to be. Um, but that doesn't you know, that doesn't have to be the case. Um, yeah, well, it's not always the case beforehand. You know what I mean? It was because it wasn't, but I started because of something happened, but I kept thinking, what if we did this all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. But sometimes there's a disruptive event when we, when we hit the wall. Right. That says question the way we've thought about it. And if we read our blog post or our journal or some, something that we said, you know, three, four or five years ago or whatever, we go, Ooh, 
right? <laughs> you know, there's some kind of shift that's happened and it's like, ooh, that that does not fit me anymore. Right. And that's one of the things that's kind of weird in the age that we live in. People are getting uh, beaten up because of things that they said when they were young, right? <laughs> Which is... Right. We got we to gotta allow each other to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I, okay, so then... Go no, ahead. go ahead. That's good. I was just going to ask you about uh, describing stage five, the journey. Out yeah. There. Well, that's really when you, after you've learned who you are, right? You, when you really step into it and um, serve according to your gifts. Um, and do it for the motivation of... Yeah, of caring life. for people, not from just uh, what you're going to get out of it. Yeah, the selflessness. Yeah. And then stage six is called the life of love. Mm-hmm. So what's that? I, I'll tell you when I get there. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, the uh, well, the life of love is really just loving like Jesus, right? Just being being that person who cares about people. I think of that uh, 93 year old woman that I that I told you about earlier. It's just somebody who loves. She just sort of exudes Jesus everywhere she goes. Everybody she talks to, she's she um, people leave with a with a better sense of who God is and who they are. Um, a lot of times this is so interesting because those people probably don't um, tend to step out all the time. They're not going to be self-promotional usually, um, but we need them. And so if you know one or you are one, man, show up and, and love some people um, because we need that as an example. Right. And, and we need to be loved by these people. <laughs> we so do. So we, they can help us grow up. Absolutely. Right. Because we don't know. We don't know what that's like unless somebody puts that vision in our head. Right, right. So when we're blessed to know those people, um, oh my goodness, it can be transformative. Like, oh, I, I want the peace they have. Right. I want their ability to love. I want their ability to accept. Or even even their ability to um, to just have it out with God. You know what I mean? Like. The honesty. Yeah, I have a so my very first podcast interview was a woman named Carolyn Schmidt. She's like another person. She's omnipresent at our church. She's always there. Um, and I heard she had a great story, so I got her to tell it to me. We didn't actually. I started the pot, the recorder, didn't get it actually recording, so we had to do it twice. She was so nice. She recorded it with me. Um, but she just is an example of somebody who is like this. Just loves everyone. She mentors people. And, uh, I was, it was kind of, I think, a providential thing that she was the first interview that I did because she's the, if you go back and listen to it, my questions probably weren't that great. The audio quality is not that great, but the presence of God just comes through in her and the way that she speaks and the way she tells her story and the way that she loves the Lord. Yeah. You know, so I think the message within the critical journey is um, don't be afraid to grow. Um, reach out to some people that may have some different experiences than you. Um, dive into spiritual practices. If you think spiritual practices are dull and boring, it's probably because you've, you've just kind of worn a few of them out. Um, there are others. You may have to but, step outside uh, of your tradition to find them. You might. You might. And, and there's something about... Um, some areas of Christianity that they kind of build walls around themselves. And I've been a part of a few of those where, you know, 
this is who's in and this is who's out. And, and I remember growing up, um, you know, I have learned so, so much from, um, people in the, in the Catholic tradition, Mm -hmm. um, that I never would have expected because growing up there were Lutherans and there were Catholics and, you know, um, (laughs) and when you talk about, uh, you know, the Reformation and the split that happened there, it, it goes deep. And so that was them and this was us. And, um, 500 years later, isn't that crazy? 500 years later, I, I couldn't have named that at the time, but there was definitely an us and them as opposed to what spiritual practices um, might we all have. And some of them fit better than others for me. And there's some traditions I don't really care to borrow from. Right. Um, and there are others that I'm like, oh, wait a minute. These people are speaking a language that's a foreign tongue, but I'm being drawn here. Right. And that's a big yeah and that's what i had to do too so went to the jesuits and they they really taught me a lot um it's interesting these days i'm more sort of going in a charismatic direction i'm not even sure what to do with that it's kind of weird well i was a missouri synod lutheran kid um who uh i would say um somewhere in my 20s in my earlier 20s I went to a gathering of the Full Gospel Business Men's Association um, as a guest. And uh, it's a real charismatic crowd and it's designed for men, but they invite some women too. And I happened to be a guest in town uh, of my sister and brother-in-law and they invited me. And it was kind of strange and unusual and the stories that were being told and everything. But this Missouri Senate Lutheran kid mm-hmm. had uh, come to Jesus <laughs> experience that was crazy in the middle of this charismatic gathering and i mean i just crack up when i think to myself okay god's going oh this is gonna be good i mean (laughs) i mean it was i i could sometime i'll have to tell the tell the tell the fuller story of what happened there but oh my goodness talk about god blowing my mind Uh, and blowing open some stuff it's like wait a minute, what territory am I in here? You know, what the heck just happened to me? It can be scary, and but I, it's so valuable. I mean, I knew of Jesus and I knew I had a desire to follow Jesus earlier than mm. that. But when you talk about just that inner conversion of, I can't get enough of learning about Jesus. I want, you know, that, that inner desire and compulsion that's where it started. And then the path I took from there was not charismatic, but yet, you know, you just never can tell what God's going to do. Amen. You I love that. Can tell. <laughs> there is no straight line path, but yet here in the critical journey, you've got these kind of things that these stages that it's not that we don't circle back around them and, right. and all, but at least it names it for us in such a way that, that helps us to, to go, oh, that's why this feels the way it does right now. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too, to say that, hey, these these are not exhaustive and they're, well, they're not they're not necessarily linear. Um, you can, I mean, you go through them maybe in a, in a order, but you can circle back and there are times when you need different things. I think that's really what I like to emphasize. If, if you need something, you know, right now, 
then that's okay. You know, my dad said to me one time he was feeling bad because he grew up like you where there was a, this huge, you know, gap in, you know, Lutherans or, you know, Episcopal people. They weren't, they weren't really believers. Right. And when he got older, um, he started going to this Lutheran church in Des Moines. He said to me, is that okay? And I was like, dad, are you finding spiritual life there? Yeah, it's okay. You know? Yeah, I'm quite sure God has a lot of different places covered that we wouldn't imagine. Right. It's If you're this finding him there, thing, go. Yeah. This omnipresent thing is real. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and there is a, there are interesting places that we will find Jesus to be that we never would have expect him hanging out with in. Right. Um, but, uh, I love, uh, Eric, I love this conversation and clearly we just went over the one hour mark. So clearly it's been pretty <laughs> we good. Can go for a while. So, oh yeah. Well, let's do it again sometime. Let's do it. But, oh, okay. This has been Eric Nevins, the halfway there podcast, find him there. And also if you're doing podcasts, um, check out the Christian podcasters association. Any last words of wisdom, Eric? Any good wishes or uh, or prayer for for our guests? Uh, you know, I would just say, uh, just echo what we just said. Wherever you are, be there. It's okay, uh, even if it's a tough season. Um, just reach out to God. I I like to take uh, Habakkuk as an example. He was upset uh, with what God was apparently not doing, and so he prayed and he asked a question. And he says, "I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen and see what kind of answer I'm going to get." And if you take that attitude. I promise God will show up every single time. It might take some time. You might have to wait, uh, but he will. And so that's, uh, whether it's a good season or, or a, a tough season, um, he He is faithful to show up and interact with you. You just sit down and wait. And it might actually come through your taste buds. It might, indeed. <laughs> Who knows what might happen? So everyone, thank you so much for joining us um, and listening into this conversation today. I'm so grateful for you. And uh, yeah, check out the website, onelifemap.com. You'll find out more in the trailer here um, after the music starts. So many blessings, Eric. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? You're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com, O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com.